0: With life worth living, you know, in the Old Testament, uh, the the Hebrews, the Jewish nation, uh, was promised a land that was basically utopia, <laughs> a land flowing with milk and honey, a land that was going to be super fruitful, a land where they didn't even have to build homes. They could just move in to homes they hadn't built into cities they hadn't built and eat from vineyards and fields that they hadn't planted in. I mean, if you, you talk about a place that you want to you go to, it's the promised land. And so nowadays, the question is, do we have a promised land? Is there a land that's so good that that, that it's where we want to aim for. It's where we want to go. It's what we want to shoot for. And we're going to look. The book of Acts describes our modern day promised land, our spiritual promised land that, that we should be aiming for and hoping for and seeking to enter into. So listen in and be blessed. All right, so we're going to start... Studying the book of Acts. Are you excited about this? I hope so, man. This is going to be a fun study. This is going to be something that you can take and begin to put into practice immediately, as as should be anything that we ever talk about in church. And so we're going to start with the book of Acts, and then we're going to be going into Revelations. We're also going to be answering some questions like how on earth do we know that the Bible is true? Well, this is going to be some of this during 2023. How can we be sure that that translation was handed down correctly and we're not reading something that's been twisted or tainted? How can we be confident in your Bible? Lots of good stuff this year. I'm really excited about it. But let's launch right into Acts. Now, I'm going to start off with this interesting angle on Acts that isn't in Acts, but to just kind of get things kicked off today. And we're going to... We're going to just kind of think a little bit, maybe reminisce a little bit about the children of Israel and Moses going to the promised land to kind of kick off Acts. All right. So just bear with me for just a bit. Now, let's just think about this. This is all in the Bible. All right. The first five books of the Bible or uh, yeah, five. Yeah. First five books of the Bible, except maybe Genesis, talks about the Israelites being in Egypt for over 400 years as slaves. Can you imagine your great-great-great-grandpa only having memory of, memories of slavery? And then your great-great-grandpa, and then your great-grandpa, and then your grandpa and your dad and your mom. Everybody, all they knew was slavery. And not just any kind of slavery, brutal slavery. You know, if you if you had to build a pyramid, you had to go out and make your own bricks and find your own uh, materials to make those bricks. That's slavery. It was horrible, horrible. And so there was a period of time also where they were wholesale just killing children, uh, uh, the the uh, Jewish children, Hebrew children. Unbelievable slavery. Well, there was that that stage, and then. As the, as the account goes, Moses was raised up by God, and he went into Egypt, and there was these plagues in Egypt. and finally he kept going to the Pharaoh, who was the most powerful man of that, of that day and age, and said, "Let my people go that they might go out into the desert to worship their God." And so Moses went in there, and there was all these plagues that, that God poured out on the Egyptians, until finally the people of Israel came out of Egypt almost 2 million, the estimates are between 2 to 3 million people came out of Egypt into the desert, <laughs> out of the pot and into the frying pan, so to speak, came into the desert, they miraculously crossed the Red Sea, and they were in the desert for 40 stinking years. <laughs> 40 years! 400 years as slaves, 40 years in the, in the desert always with a promise of reaching the promised land. Always with this promise of a land, as God described it, a land flowing with milk and honey. And and finally, after 40 years, they finally got to the promised land and they conquered the promised land and it became theirs. No longer slaves, no longer uh, desert rats, no longer castaways. They were. They had an identity. They had a place to live. They had a safe, broad, blessed place to live. Well, if you think about this story, you have, you and I, we have three stages in our Christian life. Three stages. One of them is not part of the Christian life. We start off our lives as slaves. Miserable, not knowing God. Things don't go, we're lost. We feed ourselves through addictions to keep our lives happy and and not too terribly miserable, but then that leads to further misery. And we're slaves, we're lost. The next stage is God saves us. We We quit being lost, but we enter into somewhat of a desert place. We're with God, and, you know, it's, it's okay and we're better off than we were, but we're not at the promised land. Our lives still are lacking something. We have God there with us. We read the Bible, but not all of our experience measures up with what we read in the Bible. And it's frustrating to us. But then God finally takes us, not all of us, and I'll explain why in a second, but some of us get to the promised land. And we get to a place of of Christianity that you could only dream of. That you've you've thought of and you, you wonder. It's wishful thinking. And God finally takes you to that third place if you are willing to go. If you're willing to go. A lot of people stay out in the desert. Christians stay out in the desert all their lives and never taste of all the goodness that God has for their lives. And so... Let's go back to this desert place, because I'll tell you, I think all of us, including myself, we're still in the desert in some respect or another. None of us, including for sure, not me, has really gotten to the place of promise that God wants us to be in. So let's think about what that desert Christianity is like. First of all, I'll give you a couple of thoughts that just come to mind, but a lot of times when you're in the desert, you're saved, but you're not safe you're saved but you're not safe and if you think about those israelites they just left egypt they were headed towards the red sea and they were saved they were saved out of egypt but they sure weren't safe those egyptians pursued them they were coming after them after them to bring them back and that's what you could call a relapse a lot of people get saved but they never reach safety And they relapse. They go back to their old ways and they lose out what they got from God. Now, we've all relapsed in some form or fashion. But God wants to save you. And he wants to make you safe. And he allows you to cross that Red Sea and to see your enemies washed up on the shore. And finally, you feel safe. You're saved and you're safe. So as you notice in this desert experience, there's a lot of stages, even within the desert. You know, in that desert, we follow God, but we really don't know God, and we certainly don't feel God very often. Have you ever been that way? Saying, God, I'm following you as best I can, but I don't feel like I know God very well, and I certainly don't feel like I have a real strong relationship with him. That's a desert Christianity. God wants you to know him and to sense his presence all the time, all the time. God is far more than a feeling, don't get me wrong, but he wants you to know that he is really close to you. So in, de- in the desert, oftentimes, we don't know that. We, we just don't know them. In the desert, we also tend to fall into temptation over and over and over again. Have you ever done that before? You want to stop doing something, but you keep falling into the same attitude, the same mouthing off, the same gossip, the same addiction, whatever it is. You keep falling over and over again. You're in the desert. You're a Christian, but you're in the desert. And God wants to move you into the promised land where you are free. Because whom the Son sets free is free indeed. In the desert also, I've noticed this. Christians boil Christianity down to a bunch of do's and don'ts. Rules, 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 rules. If you break a rule, you know, I've I've heard people say this, and I used to think of myself: what if the last second before you die you sin? Are you going to heaven or hell? Have you ever wondered that before? Have you ever had somebody ask you that before? That's a desert Christian that doesn't understand their God. God's grace covers your sins as a Christian. In fact, I want to remind you, please don't call yourself a sinner. If you're a Christian, you're not a sinner. You are a righteous man or woman who, unfortunately, sometimes sins. But that's not your identity. And we spoke about that a while back. Please don't boil God and your relationship with him down to do's and don'ts. God loves you, and as he fills you, he helps you to overcome your sin. We also tend to think of God in the desert. We think of him as a disciplinarian with a whip, with a hammer, waiting to smack us over the head every time we don't do exactly what we think he thinks we should do. All right, we live with just, look at this one, just barely enough. A desert Christian always just feels like I just barely have enough peace, just barely enough money, just barely enough to get by, just barely enough friends. You know what? That's a desert Christian. When you get to the promised land, you have an abundance of grace, abundance of peace, abundance of joy, of faith, of love, of finances, of friends, of everything that you need. Our God is more than enough. He provides more than enough. And you say, I guess I'm a desert Christian. Well, guess what? Me too. Me too. We're going to a better place than where we've been. All right? In the desert, we struggle with idolatry. By the way, idolatry and addiction are synonymous. Synonymous. If you idolize something, you're going to be subject to that something. You're you're going to be uh, addicted to that something. So there's idolatry out in the desert, even for Christians. Miracles happen every so often, and we're confused when they happen, and we're angry when they don't happen. And we say, what is going on, God? What's going on with you? Well, you're in the desert. It's not God's fault. (laughs) We notice in in the desert that we zig, seem to zigzag around. We go over here and then mysteriously we're headed in this direction and up there and then down here. And the Israelites did this. They went zigzagging all throughout the desert. And it's confusing and it seems purposeless and meaningless. We get frustrated and not complain to God. We complain about God. Have you ever gotten with somebody and say, I just don't understand God. I don't get him. I don't know what he's doing. What are you doing, God? Come on. And you get frustrated Because you're in the desert. And I want to sum it up with a statement here, is that our experience, our life experience, doesn't measure up to the experience that's described in the Bible. The Bible talks about victory. The Bible talks about healing. The Bible talks about provision. The Bible talks about joy. It talks about peace. It talks about faith. And yet, my experience doesn't measure up to that. And we think, what is wrong there's either something wrong with me or there's something wrong with God. But something's wrong somewhere. Guess what? We're still in that desert stage. And it's time to start moving out of there. <laughs> in fact, we'll even go. If you read the account, Moses sent 12 spies into the promised land. He sent 12 spies to see what the promised land was like. And God sometimes allows us to take a little sneak peek into the promised land we like what we see but we say god am i ever going to get there i want to get to that place that's described in the bible now i think most american christians i can't speak for asian christians or african christians or middle eastern christians all i know is is where i live i think most american christians if not all of us are in this desert stage we have never Fully experience the promises of God, the promised land of God, the way that he wants us to experience it. Those Israelites, (laughs) it's crazy. There's two times in those 40 years, there's two times when they had the opportunity to move into the into the promised land. But you know what? The first time they didn't do it. God brought them right to the border of the promised land. And we're going to talk about the timing of this in just a second. Brought them right to the border of the promised land, but they didn't go in. And do you want to know why they didn't go in? Religious people say it was because of their, dis- it was because of their disobedience. They didn't believe God. You know, they, didn't, they didn't do what God told them to do. It wasn't so much their disobedience. It was their disbelief in God. You see, if you believe God, you will obey God. If you trust God, you will obey him. Let's get first things first. Let's get our trust in God ahead of our obedience because our obedience is a byproduct, a byproduct of our trust in God. If, if I don't trust my wife, I'm not going to do what she suggests or recommends or do anything that she tells me to do because I don't trust her. But if I trust her, I'm going to do what she tells me to do, what she recommends me to do, you, know, you see what I mean? We've got to trust our God. And those Israelites didn't trust God, didn't know God, and therefore they didn't obey God. And they came to the borderland there to go into the promised land, and they didn't go in. And that can happen to you and me as well. In fact, there was a whole generation that the Bible says their bodies were strewn all over the desert floor because they never went into the promised land. Do you want to be that person? I don't. I want to be the one that goes in and takes and receives what God has given to me. It's really, in some respects, up to you, and it's up to me to make that decision to trust God enough to go to the next stage with God. All right? They refused to trust God. So listen to this. They were in the land of Goshen. That's in in the upper part of the, of the uh, Egyptian part where all the, I'm trying to think of the word, where all the rivers are and tributaries are, it, it was a very, very nice part of Egypt that they lived in. It took 37 days, 448 kilometers from Goshen up to the border of the Promised Land. 448 and if you if you do the math and they walked four hours a day at about three kilometers an hour it would have taken them 37 days to get from Goshen to the promised land 37 days now the way God took them it ended up taking almost 12 months about a year of going into the desert. They went to Mount Sinai. They got the Ten Commandments. God gave them a lot of instructions throughout that process. So it took them about a year. But unfortunately, they got there to the the, the border there, and they didn't trust God, and God sent them back into the desert for another 39 years. As a Christian... It doesn't have to take you long to start experiencing the blessings of God. It doesn't have to take very long. You can get to your promised land faster than anybody else if you'll just get to know God and stop distrusting your God. If you'll make up your mind, I'm going to trust God, you'll get to your promised land quicker than you could ever imagine. But if you don't, It can take a year, it can take two years, it can take 40 years. It could even never happen for you because you haven't put your faith in your God. How can we be Christians and not have faith in God? It just, I don't understand it, but I've been that person. (laughs) Been a Christian and I didn't have full faith in God. Let's put our trust in God. All right, so you don't have to stay in a spiritual desert very long. God wants you to learn what you need to learn and get out of there as quickly as you can get out of there. Amen. Now, the desert does have a purpose, and every Christian goes through a desert experience or two, or actually several possibly, but we don't have to stay in the desert, and we shouldn't stay in the desert. But the purpose of the desert is clear. As, we, as we're there in the desert time, it might be a time of stress, a pressure, of sickness, of financial lack. Of maybe a marital problem that you're having, you're in the desert, you learn to lose your fear. I read this once that the desert sands blew Moses' fear away, the, the 40 years that he was in the desert by himself. All right. It blew his fear away. He learned to listen to God's voice, discern God's voice. You do that in the desert. You get rid of your old self and you start taking on the new self that Jesus has for you. And progressively, you're set free if you'll let if you'll work with God while you're in the desert. So let's talk about this promised land. Forget the desert. All right. What was the promised land to these Hebrews, these two or three million Hebrews Well, it was described in the Bible as a good and spacious land. Not a little narrow, tiny place to live in. No, a broad and spacious, a good and spacious land. It was described as a land flowing with milk and honey. And we're going to be studying the word flow as we study the Holy Spirit through all of this. Uh, Flow means it's continuous. There's a continuous flow of good things, of milk and honey. God is not limited with resources, folks. There's no limit in heaven. And you, as a child of God, there's no limit for you except you yourself. God is limited. So there's this continuous flow of milk and honey. This land was going to be their land. It was an inheritance from God. It was given to them. I could split hairs. There's some people that says, you don't own anything here on earth. You're just a steward. You're just a manager of God's resources. That's true, and that's also untrue. Because the Bible says the meek will inherit the earth. And let me tell you what, everything that my father owns, he gives me access to as well. You get to enjoy. In fact, the Bible says to enjoy everything that God has given you. Enjoy it. Enjoy it. It's his, and through him, it's mine as well. Praise God. All right, so it was theirs. It was their inheritance. They were going to live in homes they hadn't built, in cities they hadn't built, and enjoy food from vineyards and fields that they hadn't planted. That's a blessing. That's the promised land. Praise God. God would divinely protect their land. They were free to worship God there. Praise God, and it was going to be an incredibly fruitful land. That sounds like a pretty good promised land to me. Let me tell you what, God has a promised land for you. He has a promised land for you, and we're going to get to learn about it and how to get there over the coming weeks. You have a promised land that is awaiting your arrival, and God has prepared it just for you. I don't know about you. I can't wait to get there. I can't wait to enjoy all the good things that God has for us and for me and for you. So what does our promised land look like? What is our promise? Clearly, it's a spiritual promised land, but with many good physical benefits as well. Let me share with you, and this is what we're going to be seeing is, first of all, it's a land where you are full of God. You're not empty of God. You're not partially full of God. You have God just overflowing in your life. The Bible describes us as earthen vessels or jars of clay, all right? And the jar of clay was meant to be full of the presence of God, full of the goodness of God, full of the glory of God, full of the blessings of God, all right? So I, for one, I want to be full of Jesus. I want to be full of His Holy Spirit, all right, And in this promised land, your life experience starts to measure up with the experiences described in the word of God. No longer is there this difference. So the Bible says this, but my life looks way different. No, 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 no. My life starts lining up with the word of God. If the Bible says I can be healed of my sickness, then I begin to experience the healing of God in my physical body. If the Bible says that I have no lack financially, then my life starts lining up with the word of God. If the Bible says that I'm not lonely and that I have all that I need in terms of relationship with God and with friends, God starts filling my life with friendships, with relationships, and filling all the empty little crevices of my heart and giving me all the things that I need. See, your, your life start, your experiences start lining up with the word of God. That's the promised land. That's the promised land right there. Uh, the promised land means that you're blessed. And now if you look at the, at the Amplified version in Matthew 5, starts describing what a blessed life looks, looks like. In the Amplified, it says that you're happy. How would you like to be happy? All the time, happy, happy, happy joyful, full of happiness. All right. So much so that you're envied by others. How would you like to be the envy of El Paso? All right. You're envied. You're spiritually prosperous. You have life, joy, and the satisfaction in God's favor and his salvation, regardless of any outward condition that others might see or that you might see. That's the promised land is being blessed, being, having deep-rooted strength with stout sturdiness, all right? I've, uh, God's been dealing with me with this word about stout. God wants you to be stout. He doesn't want you to be weak. He doesn't want you to quiver every time you hear, oh, my word, what's our government going to do? What's our country going to do? Who gives a rip, man? God is on your side. He's going to make you stout, All right. God is going to bless you. He's going to strengthen you. You're going to have inner strength that's unshakable. That's the promised land, all right? An abundance of fruitfulness, all right? Just fruitfulness, man. God's given you. We're going to be studying this over the next several weeks. Giftedness. You are gifted. God has given you gifts. And I'm not talking about talents. Those are two different things. Talents were were there when you were born, Gifts come to you as you get to know the Holy Spirit more and more and more. He starts letting gifts just flourish up. And it's crazy because a lot of these gifts come in your weakest place of your life. But God takes the weaknesses and makes them your strengths. It's there in Hebrews 11, by the way. It's awesome. Look, abundant fruitfulness, miracles, and supernatural interventions. All right? That's the biblical experience. That, start, that needs to be your experience, that God does miracles in your families, in, in, in whatever, in your body, in, in your circumstances at work with your boss. God wants to do miracles in your life. You say, well, that's not been my experience. Guess what? That's going to change because you're going to the promised land. You have confident victory over trouble. You're free from your past and your old self and your sin. You're overflowing with giftedness, as I've mentioned. And you have authoritative power like you've never had before. Authoritative power over your own mind. Can you imagine if you could start controlling your thoughts? Controlling, having control over your fears and your phobias and your panic what if you were in the midst of a panic attack and you say in the name of Jesus I have authoritative power and the panic attack goes away hey that's the experience that God wants you to have why because it's in the word of God And what if one of your loved ones is suffering an anxiety attack, a panic attack, and you say, in the name of Jesus, I take authority over that. Stop in the name of Jesus, and it stops. See, that's what I'm talking about. The the experience of the Bible starts lining up, or your personal experience lines up with the experience of the Bible. That's the promised land. That's the promised land, and that's what we're going to be reading in Acts. If you want a picture of your promised land, Acts, the book of Acts in the Bible expresses everything that we're, we're talking about here. So we're going we're to peek into the promised land. We're going to spy on the promised land. We're going to see what all the good things that God has for us, and we're going to say, You know what? I'm not going to stay here in the desert anymore. <laughs> I'm going in. I'm going in to appropriate, to take hold of the things that the Bible says that I that are mine. I'm going to take them. I'm not going to hold back anymore. Well, then that begs the question here before we get started. Kind of a long introduction, right? Sorry. <laughs> but today is basically an introduction. Um, why on earth do Christians hold back? Why do Christians stay in the desert all their lives and... Die in the desert, and never get everything that God has for them. Why would you do that? There's a story, and it's just a story. But this guy dies. He goes to heaven, and uh, Peter's you know, the Apostle Peter is showing him around the streets of gold and the buildings and whatnot. And and he keep he passes this store, this this warehouse. It's just blocks and blocks and blocks long. Just boring looking warehouse, and, and he asks Peter, he says, what's, what's in this storehouse? He says, oh, you don't, you don't want to know. Oh, I'm curious. I mean, I've, I've had all these questions now. I expect my questions to be answered. He says, so P- Peter says, do you really want to know? He says, yeah, I want to I know what's in this place. So they go, they walk into the warehouse, and there's rows and rows and rows stacked high with presents, gifts, gift after gift after gift after gift after gift, after gift. And he says, well, what, what are all these unopened gifts? He says, well, these are all the things that God had, had wanted to give his children there on earth, but they never asked him. They stayed in the desert the whole time, and they never got everything that God had for them. So they're unanswered prayers. <laughs> Guys, we need to live a victorious, power-filled life. God didn't ever expect us to be held back and to be lacking all the time, and be miserable and frustrated, God has called you to higher things. He's called you to higher things. So why don't we enter? Hey, I haven't died yet. I'm not asking Peter those questions. I want my stuff <laughs> while I'm alive. That's what it's meant for. So why should I hold back? Well, here's some thoughts that I have. You know, people, they're, they're there on the, in the desert. They look across the River Jordan And there's a beautiful land flowing with milk and honey, and they don't cross. Why is it? Well, they don't feel worthy. I am about sick and tired of having this thought go through my head, and certainly sick and tired of hearing people say this I don't deserve anything from God. I don't deserve it. Was Jesus not enough? When Jesus died, he caused you to be deserving. If you would simply repent of your sins and put your faith in God, literally, Jesus says, okay, now you deserve it. Through me, you deserve blessing upon blessing, grace upon grace, mercy upon mercy. So stop sitting there squandering away the blessings of God because you don't deserve it. Stop. That's not a reason to go in, to not go into the promised land. Stop telling yourself that you don't deserve something. By God's grace, he's made it to where you can deserve it. He has qualified you. He's appointed you. He's chosen you. He's elected you. Now go, hold your head up high, square your shoulders and say, By Jesus, I do deserve good things in my life. Praise the Lord. Why else? Well, it's too fantastic to believe. I'm telling you, we're going to be reading some things in Acts that are fantastic. They're otherworldly. They're supernatural. They're mind-boggling. They're hard to believe. Is that a reason not to cross over? No. I want the supernatural. I want God to do great and mighty things that are above my my brain capability. (laughs) All right? They're too fantastic, so they just don't believe them. A lot of people that say, you know, I just, I don't believe the Holy Spirit moves that way in this day and age. You know, I just, I just don't believe it. I mean, miracles stopped with the new Testament. Are you kidding me? <laughs> Are you kidding me? No way. Miracles still happen today. The Holy Spirit still moves today. The Holy Spirit still baptizes people today. So let's not, if, if you're already holding back, wait, 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 this is too weird. I'm telling you, God's power in human terms might be weird to some people. All right. God's power is God's power, period. What is said in the Bible still happens today. God is still the same yesterday, today and forever. He wants to show his power in your life today and tomorrow and the next day. Here's another reason why people don't cross over is they choose intellectualism. They want to boil the Bible down to something that can be comprehended and explained by the human mind. And it simply can't. God is bigger than our brains. Does that mean we check our intellect at the door? No, we can still think. In fact, the Bible says to love the Lord with all your thoughts. So it's good to think. It's good to rationalize. But when God does something, don't try to explain it. Just say, glory to God, you did something powerful and awesome that's beyond comprehension. So don't let intellectualism keep you from moving into the promised land. They don't want to leave who they are. I didn't say they don't want to leave where they are. They don't want to leave who they are. I'm learning more and more I don't want my old self anymore. I don't want my old identity. You could go ahead and change my name if you wanted to. I want to be a different person. (laughs) And so I want to leave who I am. And I'm okay if I leave my whole identity because God has a new identity for me through his son, Jesus Christ. They don't want to leave who they are. They don't want to put forth the effort. And believe me, there's an effort. You got to pick your leg up and put it into the River Jordan, and as happened for those Israelites, the water started parting and they kept walking one step at a time. Christianity takes effort. Make no mistake about it. You gotta try. You gotta put forth an effort. God is, he's already done 99.9% of the work. Now get up and start doing what you're supposed to do. Read your Bible in the morning. Oh, come on. (laughs) Read your Bible. Pray. Come to church more than one time a week. Come to church. Get involved. Serve. Do what you need to do. All right? Put forth an effort. Other other people are just scared of change, scared of the unknown. Let me tell you what. Going to the promised land is a place you've never been before. It is going to be different, and change is okay. Good change is okay. Bad change is horrible. All right? But good change is good. So it's okay, it's, it's going into the unknown, but guess what, God is in your unknown, he's ahead of you, he's waiting there for you, he's already been there, and so you're just getting closer to him as you do this, and lastly, you just misunderstand opposition and persecution, we say, oh, if I, if, if I, if I go forward with this, the devil might attack me, <laughs> he's already attacking you now, he's already made your life miserable now, let's go make his life miserable, all right? Let's press in. Let's get closer to God. The opposition is already here. Why should we wait around just because we think there's going to be more opposition? Just move into God and don't worry about persecution and opposition. All right? So let's leave our desert mentality behind and start practicing a promised land mentality. Practice a mindset of abundance, of blessing, of goodness, Praise God of power of victory. All right? When are we going <laughs> to when are we going to take what God has given us? When are we going to do it? When are you going to get sick enough of where you're at? When are you going to be willing to leave yourself behind for a new life? When are you going to be ready to wake up that sleeping giant that's inside of you? When are you going to finish with timidity and cringing fear of what people think? I'm telling you Guys, as Christians, we got to stop worrying about what people think about us. Who cares? You know, I told somebody this. It was so refreshing to start getting into my 40s because I noticed every year that I got older and older, I just quit caring what people think. It just, now I care, I care about people, but if they're criticizing me, I don't care. You can criticize me all you want. And the older you get, it seems, I like that more and more. So I was talking to this guy that's in his late 20s, and I was telling him, hey, it's fun to get old. Actually, you you, you stop thinking about what people think anymore. He says, man, I can't wait to be 50. <laughs> All right, so long intro. Let's just take five, five eight, eight more minutes and start jumping into Acts just a little bit. Now, Acts paints... This vivid picture of what the promise looks like, promised land looks like to you and me. I hope that you'll read it starting this week. Acts 1. We have several good readings, by the way. If you get the text. If you don't get the text, make sure you sign up for it. Every day, every weekday, you get a text that encourages you to read the Bible and gives you a, a call to action. All right, But it paints this vivid picture of what the promised land looks like. And how we can get there quickly. How about that? Acts tells us where it is and how to get there quickly. I don't know about you. I don't like waiting a long time for stuff. And you know what? The only thing that causes us to be slow is us. God works very quickly. He works very quickly. But if we have low faith, things take a long time. Not because of God, but because of us. All right, so the portal, the portal to get. Uh, to where we need to be is to leave our fleshly selves behind—the fearful, timid, coward, uh, complaining, uh, loudmouth person behind—and start letting God's Holy Spirit lead the way. This whole study is going to be full about full about the Holy Spirit. the The first four Gospels—Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John—were about Jesus and his disciples. Acts and the remainder of the books of the New Testament are about the Holy Spirit and the church. The Holy Spirit and the church. So let's start reading in Acts 1. Just a few thoughts here to finish up. Here's Luke. Now, Luke was a physician. He wrote the book of Luke and Acts. And here we say we see the same style of writing. We see the same recipient of the book. It was this guy named Theophilus that we had talked about in Luke just a few weeks ago. He says, in the first book, O Theophilus, in other words, the book of Luke, uh, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. See, that was about Jesus until the day when he was taken up after he was given commands through the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to tell you, we're going to read about the Holy Spirit over and over. And over and over again, we're going to learn so much about the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts. It's going to be very refreshing. To the apostles whom he had chosen, he presented himself. Jesus presented himself alive to them after uh, suffering many, uh, excuse me, after his suffering by many proofs, uh, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of heaven. I'll pause here. The Bible in 1st 2nd Corinthians says that he appeared to over 500 people. 500 people saw the living Jesus after he had died and been resurrected. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. What do you think the promise of the Father was? Holy Spirit. See, Jesus throughout his ministry told his disciples, after I die and I leave, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. I'm going to send you the promise of the Holy Spirit. He promised the Holy Spirit. So he said, which you've heard of me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Not many days from now, and as I read that this week, I was so excited to think, not many days from now, we're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Not many days from now. Not have to wait wait very long at all. God is going to baptize us with the Holy Spirit very shortly. So in verse, uh, if my eyes are not failing me, in verse 6 of Acts 1, He says, so when they came together, they asked him, they asked Jesus. Now look at this. This is interesting. They said, Lord, speaking to Jesus, said, will you at this time restore the kingdom of of Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons that the father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea in Samaria, and to the end of the earth. So the Holy Spirit, we're going to learn, I'm not going to spend time now, gives us that power, that strength that we need. The Holy Spirit does it. All right, but look at this. I've underlined three things here. Lord, Father, and Holy Spirit. There's, there's, there's three, three things here, three titles given here. And what we realize is the Holy Spirit is a person of the Trinity. We're going to get to know the Holy Spirit a lot better because he is the promised land that we're shooting for. But he is the third person of the Trinity. Now, the word Trinity, you won't find it in the Bible anywhere. Did you know that? The word Trinity is not in your Bible. So where on earth did the word Trinity come from? Well... It was coined by this man named Tertullian. Uh, he lived about one hundred fifty to two twenty a d after jesus died in fact he he lived about a hundred years after the apostle Paul was martyred in rome so not too not too long after the apostles uh, most of them were martyred, but after they were after they died, just a hundred years later, this man named Tertullian. Uh, came up with this concept of the Trinity. Now he didn't come up with the concept; he coined the term Trinity. I'm using the uh, the English name; it's in Latin. But he was he was from Carthage. He lived in northern Africa, and he was a lawyer. He had been converted when he was in his 30s, and uh, and he was a student of the Bible. Now, while the word Trinity is not used in the Bible, the concept is there, as you saw in these scriptures. It's there. We hear about God the Father, we hear about God the Son, and we hear about God the Holy Spirit. Let me share with you some other scriptures very quickly here. In Luke 3.22, it says of Jesus, he was baptized in water by John the Baptist. As he came up, the Holy Spirit descended on Jesus in the form of a dove, and a voice from heaven said, you are my son. Who would say you are my son except a father, the father? Said you are my son, my son, whom I love, with you I'm well pleased. There you see the Trinity at work: all three members, all three persons of the Trinity. In in uh, Matthew 28, Jesus says, "Therefore, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name, in the name of the Father, the Son." And the Holy Spirit, there's the concept of the Trinity once again. See, you've got to understand the Trinity to begin to understand the person of the Holy Spirit. See, the Holy Spirit is not a force or an energy or, or something weird like that. No, the Holy Spirit is one of the three persons of the Godhead. And so we have to realize you can talk to the Holy Spirit just like you can talk to Jesus and you can talk to the Father. In fact, Jesus instructed us, when you pray, pray this way, our Father who is in heaven. You see, you speak to a person. You can speak to the Holy Spirit. Sometimes I wake up in the morning and say, Holy Spirit, I'm so glad you're here with me. I'm so glad you're here with me. And I talk to the Holy Spirit throughout the day because he's with me And the Bible says that he's in me, all right? In 1 Peter 1, 2, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. You see, the Trinity, the concept of the Trinity is throughout Scripture, but then in Deuteronomy 6, 4, God makes it abundantly clear there's not three gods, there's just one God made up of three persons humanly speaking, I can't explain that. I can't understand it. I just take it by faith, because it's how the Bible describes that this is. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one." Now, you know people try to explain it like, well, water has three different forms. It's frozen, it's vapor and it's liquid, and that's kind of how the God is. Head is, or they talk about an egg and the yolk, and blah, blah, I don't think any of that does it justice. Okay? All I know is there's God the Father, God the Son, God of the Holy Spirit, and it's one God. One God. All right? Three persons of this Godhead, and the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. You know, there's more to say here, but I want to stop there. I think that's enough for one day. So let's bow our heads in prayer. And we thank you, Lord Jesus, for this time together. Lord God, uh, we want the promised land, Lord Jesus, and the Holy Spirit is, is where we want to go. It's who we want to be with. It's, it's the part of God who is going to supply all the things that's missing in our lives. I thank you, Jesus, that when you died, uh, or before you died, you promised that you would send us the Holy Spirit. You promised that you would send us the Holy Spirit. And you in fact have, Lord Jesus, but I believe we can have the Holy Spirit in a great deal more fullness and abundance than what we currently have right now. And so Lord, we sing about the Holy spirit because we love you. Holy spirit. And we worship you. Holy spirit of God. I thank you, Jesus Lord. If you hadn't been taken up into heaven, you and your physical way could only be in one place at one time. As a man, you could only be in one place one time, but the Holy spirit can be everywhere at the same time, in every soul at the same time, fixing billions of problems at the same time. Why? Because the Spirit of God covers the face of the earth. Praise God. Hallelujah, Jesus. And so, Lord, we, your servants, we want to be filled to overflowing with the Spirit of God so that we can enjoy all the fullness of God, all the blessings of God, all the goodness of God in our lives. Thank you, Jesus. So, Lord, I pray that you would take us through this study of Acts, Lord, that you would open up our minds, open up our hearts, Lord. Help us not to stand at the at the fringe of the promised land, but, Lord, help us to enter in and say, I want everything that my God has for me.